0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Mysterious Benedict Society Reallowed Podcast. This is episode 11, and today we are going to be reading chapters 13 and 14. But first, let's do a little recap of the episode before. So, on the 12th episode, 12th chapter of last episode, we met Mr. Curtin, finally, and he looked exactly like Mr. Benedict. So, all the children were confused, thinking that Mr. Benedict had tricked them, but they sent a message, and their cryptic message that Rhonda sent back said that it was Mr. Benedict's twin, which is a huge surprise. Um, So it's a bit of a mystery, and they're not really sure if he knew about it or not, but I don't think he did. So let's read Chapter 13. Chapter 13, Lessons Learned. The Learning Institute for the Very Enlightened was, unlike other schools, For one thing, the cafeteria food smelled good and tasted even better. Beyond that, there were no textbooks, no field trips, no report cards, no roll call if you were missing an executive came to find you, no rickety film projectors, no lockers, no team sports, no library, and weirdly enough, no mirrors to be found anywhere, nor was there any separation between beginning and advanced students. Class groups were assigned at random, regardless of age or accomplishment, and everyone in that group sat at the same classroom together, learning the same lessons. The lessons had been designed by Mr. Curtin himself, and when all of them had been gotten through, they were repeated from the beginning. Thus, all the lessons were eventually reviewed many times, and the students who learned them best became messengers. None of this was familiar to the members of the Mysterious Benedict Society, and yet, in certain ways, the Institute did remind them of other schools rote memorization of lessons was discouraged but required. Class participation was encouraged but rarely permitted. And although quizzes were given every day in every class, there was always at least one student who groaned, another one who acted surprised, and another one who begged the teacher in vain not to give it. Time's up, as Cupidellian called during the morning class one day. Pass me your quizzes, everyone. And no dallying, please. A switch in time saves time, you know. Nine corrected a messenger in the middle row. Rinny recognized her from his other classes, a tall, athletic teenager with piercing eyes and raven black hair. She was much older and bolder than most of the other students and had a reputation as the leader among the messengers. Her name was Martina Crow. Nine stitches, SQ said. No, Martina, I'm certain it's just one stitch. No, a stitch in time saves nine, Martina scoffed exactly sq replied with the quizzes all collected the room fell silent as sq went through the pages marking grades in his book it was the hourly ritual in every class an executive first presented the day's material then the material was reviewed and sometimes the review was reviewed and then the students were given a quiz over the previous day's lesson if the material wasn't so strange so no doubt it would have been easily mastered today the mysterious benedict society's third day full of classes SQ's lessons have been called personal hygiene, unavoidable dangers, and what must be done to avoid them. Like all the lessons at the Institute, this one was a barrage of details, pages and pages worth. But the gist was the sickness, like a hungry predator, lurked in every nook and cranny. Every touchable surface was a disease waiting to happen. Even speck of dust, an allergen poison to swell your nose and clog your ducts. Every toothbrush bristle was a bacterial playground. On and on it went, and all of it was greatly exaggerated. Rennie thought, though not entirely untrue. What made the lesson so confusing was the logical conclusion. SQ said must be drawn. Because it was impossible in the end to protect yourself from anything, no matter how hard you tried, it was important to try as hard as you could to protect yourself from everything. There was some kind of truth hidden in there, Rennie thought, but it was camouflaged with nonsense. No wonder it gave students trouble. Luckily, he and Sticky had been making perfect scores. To confirm this, Rennie glanced over at his friend, who gave a small nod and a thumbs up. Probably wasn't even difficult for him. Sticky remembered everything he laid eyes on. So far, so good. Rennie twisted in his seat to look at Kate. She puffed her cheeks, crossed her eyes, and put her hands on her head as if she thought it might pop. Not good. Rennie decided not to look at Constance. His optimism had been spoiled enough. The other students sat mostly in stupors, Worn out from the class, or else were being scoring their notes in hopes of discovering they'd done better than they thought. The messengers, though, there were four in the class, wearing their snappy white tunics and blue sashes, were indulging in a particular habit Rennie had noticed. Every few moments, one of them would glance at the door, eyes focused with keen expectation. Martina Crow was especially fixated. They were waiting to be caught up by an executive, carried away for their secret privileges. And whatever an executive did appear in the doorway, as Jackson did now, every messenger in the room stiffened with anticipation. SQ, Jackson announced, I need Corliss Danton and Sylvie Biggs. The messengers in question leaped from their desks, hastily gathering their things. With beaming faces and an backwards glance, they followed Jackson out. Martina Crow stared hungrily after them. For the newcomers among us, SQ said, let me remind you that you, too, could be privy to special privileges enjoyed by our messengers. Study hard, especially you brand-new recruits, who are doing very well, by the way. Rosie Gardener, Esticate Crust, very well done. You each got several answers correct. Keep up the good work. He smiled encouragingly toward the back of the room and returned to his grating. Rennie turned to see to see whom S.Q. was speaking to, and he could hardly stop staring. New recruits, S.Q. had called them, and indeed... Those were the two whose dazed expressions had caught Rennie's attention the first day. The bell-shaped girl and the wiry boy. He'd been suspected of kidnapped. They scarcely seemed the same children now. Their looks of sleepy confusion had disappeared, replaced by a look of purpose, even of pleasure in their eyes. These were not the expression of the children who'd been kidnapped and secreted away from their will. But then why had they been escorted by recruiters? And why else would they be called recruits? Rennie suspected himself of leaping to conclusions. He used to think he was good at understanding people. Miss Permo had told him so more than once. But these kids were a mystery to him. Somehow he was getting it all wrong. He had to be. And speaking of getting it wrong, Rennie's eyes now fell on Constance, sound asleep with her face on the desk. Rennie felt suddenly depressed. He needed to stop turning around. SQ finished grading the quizzes and stacked the papers on the edge of his desk. "'Okay, everyone. Class dismissed. You may check our quizzes as you leave. And someone had better wake Miss Contraire. I'm fairly certain she's alive. I saw her twitch. "'Renard Muldoon and George Washington, please stay after class. I need to speak with you.' Rennie's throat throat tightened, and he glanced at Sticky, who looked as if he'd been stung by a hornet. Were they suspected of something? As the others filed out of the classroom, Kate gave the boys a meaningful look. "'Good luck,' her eye said.' Constance stumbled blearily past without looking at them, and then the two boys started up to S.Q.'s desk. Their path was suddenly cut off by Mar- Martina Crow, who fixed them with a stare of barely contained fury. Startled, the boys stepped back as if they had come upon a rattlesnake. That's right, Martina hissed, step back. She glared at them, radiating in minutes. Rennie wondered what to do. Should he ask what was wrong? Would this encourage her to attack? Martina, S.Q. said from his desk, "'Do you need something?' "'I know why you want to speak with them,' Martina said, "'not taking her eyes from the boys' alarmed faces. "'Good for you. "'Now I do need to speak with them, so please excuse us.' "'I'll go,' Martina said, but not far. "'She leaned toward the boys and whispered, "'Do you hear me? Not far.' "'Certainly not far enough,' Renny thought as she stalked from the room. "'Why was she so angry? "'Did she suspect them of something, too?' "'Trembling now, the boys approached the desk. "'S.Q. looked grave.' I'm afraid you two are in hot water, but why? Asked Rennie. Sticky wobbled as if he might fall down. You have Marti on edge. That's why. Frankly, fellows, I'm simply astounded, or rather, I should say, astoundoshed. No, that's not not quite. Astonished. Rennie prompted. Astounded. Eskew nodded. Those two. Furthermore, I'm amazed. How are you boys doing so on well your quizzes? You're making perfect scores. I think Martina overheard me talking about it with another executive. By the way, which is why she dislikes you now. Sticky regained his balance. Rennie's breathing slowed. They weren't in trouble after all, except for some reason with Martina Crow. SQ gave them an appraising look. How do you explain your grades? It's unlikely anyone is helping you. You're brand new, and the other students naturally shun new kids, so they wouldn't be helping you. I remember things, said Sticky simply. I try hard, said Rennie askie looked as if this is what he just expected. Rememberingness and effortless, both fine qualities. It seems you two have an abundant supply. I just wanted to congratulate you and tell you to keep it up. Look, like Ustins and Rosie, Rennie asked. Oh, those two? They're different case boys. They're special recruits. Special recruits get extra attention in the early days by order of Mr. Curtin. They're a little slow to come around, and they need encouragement. But you watch, one day they'll be the top students." Special recruits often end up being messengers, and money becomes exec- executives. Take Jackson and Jolson for example. They were special recruits themselves. What makes special recruits so special? Sticky asked. He almost sounded jealous. SQ seemed troubled by this question. Well, as for that, I can't really say, uh, here nor there. All you need to know is, well, you don't need to know anything. Except for the material, that is. Obviously, you must know that. And how to... Actually, I suppose there are many things you should know, but... He checked himself, cleared his throat, and said, Just work hard, boys, and you'll have nothing to worry about. Except Martina, said Rooney. She looked like she was wanted to throttle us. SQ laughed. She probably does. You're showing her up. Perfect quiz scores are extremely rare. If you boys continue to do th- it like this, you'll be messengers in no time. And so naturally, the messengers hate you. There's a limited number of messengers, you see, and no guarantee they will stay a messenger. Have a bad week on your quizzes and another student might take your spot. Does that happen often? Rene asked. Hardly ever, S.Q. said. Messengers can't bear to lose their special privileges. I remember how awful I felt whenever I had to turn in my sash and tunic. Happened to me several times, but eventually I got all the lessons down like butter. Like a pat of butter. Got them down pat. And never lost my position again. Until I was made an executive, that is. Anyway, I suppose Martina would seem like a threat to you. I understand her feeling, though. Of course, there's no call for her to be so cranky about it. Cranky was hardly the word Rennie thought. Venomous was more like it. They would have to watch out for Martina Crow. And that is the conclusion of Chapter 13. So let's read Chapter 14. Chapter 14. People and Places to be Avoided Rennie and Sticky spent the rest of the morning looking nervously over their shoulders. Between classes, they hurried through the corridors, not wanting to be ambushed by Martina. And when at lunchtime they spotted Martina lingering near the cafeteria counter, they put off getting their lunches despite their insistent growling in their bellies. Instead, they found a table and waited for Kate and Constance. When the girls returned from their counter, Rennie and Sticky quickly related what S.Q. had told them about the messengers and also what had happened with Martina. The cafeteria was so absurdly loud, they could speak in normal voices and not be overheard. But it was all Kate could do to keep her voice below an outraged shout. "'Where is Martina now?' she said, glancing left and right. "'I'm trying not to see her,' Sticky said. "'Easy, Kate,' Rennie said. He nodded discreetly toward a distant table. "'She just sat down at one of the messenger's tables. "'Every now and then she shoots darts with her eyes. "'But let's not worry about it. We need to avoid her, that's all.' "'Constance wiped her mouth on her sleeve. "'Hey, when you boys get your lunch trays, bring me back some ice cream.' "'Whatever happened to asking?' Stiggy said. "'Whatever happened to please?' "'Renny looked at Constance, who, by the way, of answering Stiggy, was poking her tongue out. "'She did have terrible manners, it was true. "'She spilled food with the abandon, chewed with her mouth open as often as not, "'and held her utensils like shovels. "'But Renny found her behavior more sad than irritating.' He knew she must have never had anyone to teach her better manners. He had no idea what her life had been like before. Constance hated being asking questions and generally ignored them, or else responded by making rude sounds. But it was obvious she'd had little guidance. Constance noticed Rennie looking at her. She bugged her eyes and opened her mouth to show him up her chewed food. She didn't like being looked at any more than she liked being asked questions. Rennie and Stiggy went up to the counter to order their lunches. The helpers were stirring soups and tossing pizza dough, and otherwise attending to a huge array of dishes, all which smelled heavenly, and the boys' mouths were watering like sprinkler systems. Rennie finally settled on lasagna and chocolate milk, and ice cream, since Sticky refused to do constant bidding. Rennie just didn't feel like dealing with a whining session. The helper who took his order nodded silently, averting his eyes, and setting to preparing the tray. Rennie watched him uneasily, only a few helpers had ever spoken to him and not one had made eye contact. Apparently, Mr. Curtin had laid down a strict rules about this. It was a strange requirement of the workers' jobs. That shows of deference. But the helpers met it up admirably. In fact, they were so silent and shy of eye contact that Renning tried not to greet them or even look at them much. To him, this felt profoundly rude. But doing otherwise always seemed to take the helpers uncomfortable. Sticky must have been thinking about the same thing because when they had rejoined the girls at the table, he said, "Can you imagine a worse job than being a helper? Aren't they sad a lot?" said Kate. "No talking, no eye contact, no way I could work a job like that. I'd have to be sedated." "Hey, maybe they are being sedated," Sticky suggested. "Maybe there's something in their food." Kate shook her head. "I've seen them eating the same food they serve us, and we're just fine, aren't we?" They all looked around uncomfortably at Constance who had finished gulping her ice cream and let her sticky chin drop to her chest. Her eyelids were fluttering and breathing had deepened into a snore. Well, but she was that way before we got here, said Rennie. It was a long and wearisome day. The afternoon classes went much the same as the morning ones. First Rennie would feel heartened by how well he and Sticky had done on the quiz. Then dismayed by the hateful looks their successes brought them. From the other students and messengers in general, but especially from Martina. And if Kate and Constance were drawing no such unpleasant attention themselves, it was only because they were having terrible time with quizzes, which was even more discouraging. When the last class was dismissed, the four of them went out onto the plaza and sat on a stone bench. All but Kate who bounced in place, burning off energy. Most of the institute students spent the hour before supper playing in the gym or else watching television in their rooms. But the mysterious Benedict Society had wanted a little time to themselves as it turned out they spent their whole time on the plaza undisturbed by Martina or anyone at all and yet they spoke hardly a word the reason was that they could not stop staring with a curious mixture of fascination fear and uneasiness at Mr. Curtin in his green plaid suit silvery glasses and mnemonic wheelchair the plaza was a favorite spot of his the children had seen him there but the day before too, and also at night. It was well known that Mr Curtin often sat there for an hour or so in the afternoons, during which time no one ever disturbed him by but executives, and they came to own him to him when the urgent matters. This afternoon was no different. Everyone who crossed the plaza gave Mr Curtin a wide berth, and no one ever passed in front of him, as he seemed a delight in gazing off toward the bridge in the distance, and no one wished to disrupt his view. Gazing aside, Mr. Curtin was hardly idle. He had a stack of newspapers with him and going through them, them meticulously, occasionally marking things and smiling mysteriously. From time to time he opened a large book, which he carried in his lap and made note inside of it. Then he would gaze up into the distance again. Eventually Mr. Curtin spun around and shot across the plaza, disappearing inside the Institute Control Building and snapping the children out of their trance. Having spent so much time staring, and since at supper they were unable to get the table themselves, the children would have to wait until after lights out for any secret discussions. For the evenings were devoted to study time. It was essential that Renny and Sticky continued to do well in their quizzes, especially if Kate and Constance didn't start doing well. And at any rate, one of the few rules of the executive seemed willing to admit was that the students were not allowed in one another's rooms. Private meetings among regular students were the sort of things strictly frowned upon in the Institute, where all secrets were reserved for messengers and executives. There was no prohibition regarding the dormitory corridors during study time, however, and before the children holed up in their rooms to labor over their notes, they lingered a few minutes outside the door to Rinny and Sticky's room. If they didn't talk to each other now, it was only because they were eavesdropping, they discovered that at this time of the day, there was a considerable amount of activity and conversation in the corridor, which always provided an opportunity to learn something. Here and there along the corridor, little clusters of students stood talking, reluctant to knuckle down and study yet. In a steady stream of children toting toothbrushes and toiletries, passed in and out of bathrooms. This evening was the most obvious ease were Rennie and Sticky's neighbors. A couple of thick-headed, thick-middled other boys, who had a point of never speaking to Rinny and Sticky. The boys stood in their doorway playing a game that involved kicking each other in the shins without crying out. And as they kicked and grimaced back and forth, they speculated endlessly about messengers' secret privileges. This was a favorite conversation among non-messengers, but never a productive one. And it was no different with these boys. It soon became clear neither had any idea what the privileges were, only that they were much to be coveted. The boys' talk quietly were thin, and Rennie was just about to give up and go study, when Jackson's voice boomed down a corridor. Corliss Danton, there you are. A few doors down, Corliss Danton jumped. Everyone jumped, but Corliss jumped the highest. He turned to look with strangely guilty eyes at Jackson, who came marching toward him through a little cluster of students, all of whom flattened themselves against the walls to let him pass. The corridor, just moments ago all gossip and hubbub, fell silent as a graveyard, Corliss straightened his messenger sash, and Jackson came up. What? What's the matter, Jackson? You know what the matter is, Corliss, said Jackson. Mr. Curtin needs to speak with you. I've come to show you the waiting room. At the mention of the waiting room, Corliss, who was fair-skinned to begin with, turned positively white. The boys from the neighboring room flinched and took a quick step backward, trying to disassociate themselves. A murmur spread down the corridor. But, but... Corliss cleared his throat. He tugged at the bottom of his tunic. "'But come on, Jackson. Why would I be punished? What?' "'You aren't being punished. Mr. Curtin only wants to speak with you, but he's busy at the moment, so you have to wait. Come with me right now.' Corliss shook his head and stepped back. "'I... You know what? I don't think so. I think I'll just... Just...' He glanced left and right, contemplating the corridor exits. Jackson's tone was casual but firm. "'I understand you don't like to wait, Corliss. Nobody likes waiting.' But if you don't want to go to the waiting room and lose your special privileges, then you better come along right now. Corliss cringed. No, that won't won't be necessary. I'll go with you, Jackson. I suppose one way or another I'm going to have to wait. Is that right? One way or another. Corliss took a deep breath to steady himself. Okay, you bet. Whatever Mr. Current wants, you'll get no complaints from me. Jackson winked. That's a boy. Let's get moving. He put his hand on Corliss's shoulder and walked him out the far exit. The moment Corliss had gone, the corridor erupted in a campfire of excited conversation. One girl even burst into tears. She'd once been to the waiting room herself, apparently, and was distraught at the mere mention of the place. As the girl's friends tried to console her, Rennie and sticky, thick headed neighbors were still staring at the exit through which Jackson had led Corliss as if to his dorm room. The waiting room, one boy said. I didn't know messengers even got sent to the waiting room. Let's not talk about it, said the other, shaking his head. I think it's bad luck to talk about it. I don't need that kind of luck. The boys went into the room and closed the door behind them. Ren and the others looked anxiously at one another. I think perhaps we ought to avoid being sent to the waiting room, said Constance. You think, said Kate. Sticky took out his polishing cloth.